Well, we are in the series called Summer Love, and Pastor Corey started it out last week. I thought he did a great job, and uh, he mentioned that this was a little bit of a twist of Hoagie Fest um, in the design, and I, I would agree with Pastor Corey in that regards. Um, with that. But we're talking about love, and I love how you guys are spending the whole summer just dealing with the chapter 13 of 1 Corinthians, the chapter of love. And you guys are taking it bit by bit, chewing on it for a week at a time of what it means to love. I I love kids' perspective on love, and and I just wanted to share uh, some sayings from some kids on their perspective on love, and see if you can relate with them. From 8-year-old Bobby, he says, Love will find you even if you are trying to hide from it. I've been trying to hide from it since I was 5, but the girls keep finding me. (laughs) Judy, the age 8, says this on the proper age to get married. She says, 84. Because at that age, you don't have to work anymore, and you can spend all your time loving each other in your bedroom. <laughs> I don't know where she learned that from. Mike, the nine-year-old Mike says this, What do people do on the first date? This is the question that's asked of him, and he says this, On the first date, they just tell each other lies, and that usually gets them interested enough to go for a second date. A little bit of wisdom there from uh, nine-year-old Mike. Lynette says this when she was asked a question, Is it better to be single or married? Her answer was this, It's better for girls to be single but not for boys. Boys need somebody to clean up after them. (laughs) Which is very true. Very true. Elizabeth and I cleaned out our garage and shed yesterday, and it it came about that I have all this stuff of tools and everything, and uh, it was clear that we needed somebody to help me clean up that stuff. So um, eight-year-old Dave uh, was asked, why do lovers hold hands? And this was his answer. They want to make sure their rings don't fall off because they paid good money for them. (laughs) I thought that's pretty clever. That's why they hold hands. And lastly, uh, nine-year-old Michelle was asked, what are most people thinking when they say, I love you? She answered, the person is thinking, yeah, I really do love them, but I hope he showers at least once a day. (laughs) Well, the world's view of love is definitely about romance. When you talk about love, the world thinks about romance, and we see that just in these little children's responses to about love, questions about love. Love or lust is what our world refers to for love. Um, the, the Greek word would be eros for that kind of love, that lustful kind of love, that romantic type of love. Or the world also refers to phileo love, this f- familial companionship type of love uh, when they talk about the world. It's either a lustful love or it's a companionship type of love. But in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, you can go ahead and turn there in your Bibles, Paul is definitely talking about a different kind of love than what the world sees as love. Although this passage in 1 Corinthians 13 has been used for many wedding ceremonies, Paul is not talking about romance when he's talking about love here. 
He's talking about agape love. Agape love is a love that is unconditional and it's a sacrificial, selfless love. A love that is defined by God Himself. You could read 1 Corinthians 13 and put God's name in the place of love. God is patient. God is kind. Or Jesus does not envy. Jesus does not boast. Jesus is not proud. Jesus does not dishonor others. Jesus is not self-seeking. Jesus is not easily angered. Jesus keeps no record of wrongs. Jesus does not delight in evil, but rejoices with truth. Jesus always protects. Jesus always trusts. Jesus always hopes. Jesus always perseveres. Jesus never fails. This is the kind of love that we are talking about this summer. An agape love which represents who God is himself. And in fact, God requires this kind of love of his followers. He says, I am love and my followers are also representative of this love. And we see that, that um, last week Pastor Corey talked about the big idea for this summertime is that uh, love for one another is the mark of following Jesus. That's the love, our love for one another is the mark of someone, is the distinguishing mark of following Jesus. And we see that Jesus said that by this all men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. He said that you will know, they will know that you are my disciples by your love for one another. And Paul also summed up the entire law. The entire law in Galatians, he says this. He says, for the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. God, Paul summarizes the entire book of the Bible, the entire Bible, and he says, you can find it by loving your neighbor as yourself. That's pretty profound. And it's a pretty radical statement. Really? The entire law is summed up in how we love one another? And Jesus says, and if anything, people will recognize you by how you love one another. These are some powerful statements made by Jesus and his followers. Love sums sums it all up. And we saw that. Pastor Corey talked about this at the end of chapter 12. Verse 31, it says, love is the better way or the most excellent way. Remember last week, Pastor Corey started talking about the first three verses here in chapter 13, about that if you can have all the gifts or you have the understanding or even you have great personal sacrifice, but without love, it's nothing, right? Right? It is like a loud gong. Now, if this was a real symbol right here, I could hit this. Oh, actually, it's working. Look at that. I could just stand here and and gong, 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 right? And you'd be like, Pastor Andrew, enough already, all right? That's what the gifts are. That's what personal sacrifice is. That's what all the knowledge is without love. It's annoying and useless. And herein is, lies the tension that Paul is addressing here in 1 Corinthians 13. He's addressing this tension that we see. That it's 
possible to be very religious while being very selfish. And, and Pastor Corey brought this up last week, and I think this is going to be a reoccurring uh, theme throughout the summer, is that it's possible to be very religious while being very selfish, very self-focused, and yet very religious. And we see this, this is very evident in the book of Corinthians, in the church that met in Corinth. Paul is addressing this. He's addressing, if you just page through the book of 1 Corinthians, you would see that he's addressing all of these problems. This church in Corinth had, uh, was messed up. They had incest going on. They had lots of spiritual immaturity. They had sexual immorality. They were suing one another. There were lawsuits. They were misusing the gifts. When they would come together for communion, they were getting drunk, and people were starving, and other people were, were full of food, and they didn't care about the people that were hungry. And Paul is addressing over and over the divisions that he sees within the church of Corinth. In other words, he's addressing their lack of love. He's, re- he's addressing their lack of love for one another, and it's reflective in their divisions. Even in chapter 3, he talks about how they are mere infants in the faith because of their jealousy and their quarreling among one another. Look with me on the slide up here at 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Paul is addressing them because they are spiritually immature. He says, Brothers and sisters, I could not address you as people who live by the Spirit, but as people who are still worldly, mere infants in Christ. I gave you milk, not solid food, for you were not yet ready for it. Indeed, you are still not ready. You are still worldly, for since there is jealousy and quarreling among you, are you not worldly? Are you not acting like mere humans? You see, their lack of maturity was being displayed in their relationships with one another. They were quarreling and fighting with one another because they were spiritually immature. And this morning, I would love for us to realize and walk away with the reality that loving others well is the essence of spiritual maturity. That loving others well shows our maturity in Christ. And that's dependent upon how well we're able to love is how well how mature we really are. And Paul is clear to state that that is the reality. He's stating that Jesus teaching love is a radical love. He goes so far to say that the degree to which we love others, even those who hurt us, those people who irritate us, they annoy us, they drive us crazy, they want to make us pull our hair out, the little hair that I have left, right, is the true indicator of our spiritual maturity. This is a radical teaching of Jesus, a high level of teaching. He says, you want to be spiritually mature? Then love others. 1 John 4, 7, 8 says this, Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. In other words, knowing God equals loving others. Knowing God 
equals loving others. If we truly know God, if we are close to God, then we love others well. Why does Jesus and his apostles teach this? Because he knew and understood how easy it is to compartmentalize our thoughts and our beliefs and our act from our actions. That we could pray, that we could practice spiritual disciplines, we could come to church every week, and yet still fail to love the people with whom we live with. See, Paul realized and Jesus realized that there could be a disconnect, that we can be very religious and yet very selfish. That we can think, hey, I'm so close to God, I love God, me and God are great, but I can't stand my wife. She's got issues. And Paul's saying, no, that's not love. That's not spiritual maturity. So this morning, we're just going to take a time to have a spiritual maturity litmus test. And that question is, how are your relationships going today? How are your relationships doing this week? I don't want to take us a moment, and as, as we look at the Word of God this morning, that the Word of God would just wash over us, that the Spirit of God would show us through His Word, convict us of any areas in our lives that we're immature in, that we need maturing in, that we need to grow in, that we need to take a step in growth towards that. So this moment, I just would like for us to take a moment to ask these questions of ourselves. We can close our eyes and we can just sit still before the Lord as I pray and ask the Lord to speak to us through His Holy Spirit of how our relationships are going. And is there any way that we need to change. So let's do that right now. Would you ask the Lord what he thinks of your relationships? Father, we come before you today humbly We acknowledge that you are God and we are not. That you are perfect and we are not. We acknowledge that you are love. You are grace. You are peace. You are patient. You are kind. You are not jealous. Father, we are. I am impatient. I am unkind. And Father, we ask, Lord, that you would speak to us and show us areas in our lives today that we can submit to you, that we can lay down and confess, Lord, this is an area that is not representative of who you want me to be. And that you would, by your power, fill us with your Spirit. Transform us from the inside out. That is a spiritual work that's done by your Spirit and not by our flesh, not by our will, not from anything on the outside, but an internal work of God.
I pray, Father, that you would speak through me and in spite of me for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. So, what does this love look like? We've been talking about this agape love, but what specifically does this love look like? To love one another. What does that practically look like? And if we were to ask Paul, hey Paul, what does love look like? What is this love that you're talking about that we must love one another? What does he say? Well, the first thing out of his mouth that he would say about this agape love is that love is what? Patience. Now, stop the train right there. Patience? That's the first thing he says. Patience? Forget the rest of the list. I've got enough work cut out for me, right? Right there. I'm prone to be impatient. And just a, a, a silly little example of that is that I would, I, would love to, I would rather eat my food cold than eat it hot. You know why? Because I'm too impatient. I'd rather, I'd rather eat it cold so I could just sit down and eat my food cold than have it piping hot and have to wait the five minutes for it to cool down to be the right temperature for me to eat it. Isn't that ridiculous? My wife is like, you are weird. Why would you not? I'm, sh- I'm like, don't put it in the microwave. Don't heat it up. I'll just eat it like this. I don't want to have it hot because then I have to sit there and wait or I burn my mouth because I'm too impatient. Is anybody else like that? Anybody else like, all right, there's one. Maybe, okay. Yeah, it's, it's crazy. Impa- being impatient is something that I think we all are prone, are prone to do. And Paul says, patience is God. We know it's a fruit, part of the fruit of the Spirit, right? We know that the term patience is a what? Virtue, right? And Paul is saying that love is patient. Well, what does it mean in the original language, in that Greek word that Paul uses here in the original text as he's writing it out? Not the English word, but what does it mean in the original New Testament word, patience? Well, it means long-suffering, the opposite of short-tempered, so a long fuse, having a long fuse, it denotes patience with people rather than circumstances. So this word that he's using is not just patient with um, circumstances in the world. Be patient for you know the grass to grow or the, your corn to grow in the garden, right? No, it's talking specifically towards people, being patient towards people. And it's displayed when, when someone is wronged and, or you're wronged and you have the power to avenge yourself, but you restrain. So this patience is talking about when dealing with people and when you're wrong, when you're hurt, you restrain from responding in an unloving, unkind way. So this patience is a restraining type of action. Love is a verb. Love is an action. It's not just a feeling. And Paul's explaining here that when, when we see love evident in the body of Christ, we see that it's restraining oneself when someone is wronged, when someone is being completely annoying, when someone is being completely exasperating. The body of Christ shows patience towards one another, They restrain from being sarcastic. They restrain from talking about someone behind their back. They restrain from giving someone the silent treatments. 
That's what patience looks like. Patience is not weakness. It's the eloquence of strength. So when do we need this kind of patience? When do we need patience? We need it with annoying people, right? We need it with people that just get under our skin, that drive our nerves nuts, right? That's when we need this patience, right? So question for us this morning, what do we do with the difficult people in our lives? Does anyone have a difficult person in their life? Anyone? Anyone? No. Right? I know someone just, someone's face just came to mind when I said that, right? There's a difficult person that God has placed in your life, and you say, I don't know how to have patience with this person. The only way I found out is just to avoid them, to not be in the same room with them, right? Or not unfriend them on Facebook, right, is, is the way to deal with difficult people. Well, this morning, I would like to propose to you um, a, a challenging way to look at difficult people in our lives. I would like to say, how do we deal with difficult people? Well, we look at them as saint makers. Saint makers. Difficult people in our life. By Saint makers are the, by the means by which God uses to deeply and powerfully transform you and me. That difficult people are actually people that God has placed in your life and my life to transform us. To transform us, to bring us to a place of like, I can't do this on my own. I can't extend love to this person because they just drive me nuts or they've been so mean to me. They've been so rude. They're so careless. All they think about is themselves all the time. I believe that God has placed them in our life to transform us, to make us draw closer to God, who is love. Jesus repeatedly taught that we should look at people not as interruptions or obstacles to what we want to do, but maybe, no, for sure, that people are gifts in disguise from God. You see, when we look at Jesus' life, when he walked this earth, we see that he saw people for who they were. He didn't see them as its or objects, but he saw them as people made in the image of God. So oftentimes we walk through life and we think of I and it, I and it. And it is an object, it is something that may be in, in my way or I use it for my good. But God looks at us as made in the image of him. He looks at us as with value and with purpose. And that we should look at other people in the same capacity. Not as obstacles or problems, but as saint makers. Looking at them as though God has placed them in our life for a reason. Jesus repeatedly taught that loving God and loving others are inseparable. That they go together. And Paul is reiterating this as well. Being patient with others requires us to be patient with God. And to realize that God is patient with us. 
Let me say that again. Being patient with others requires us to be patient with God. God, why did you put this person in my life? I can't stand them. I can't live with them. I can't go on. That's not being patient with God. We cannot be patient and able to wait unless we find patience in our souls with God. Sometimes it takes us, it requires us to go to a quiet place, to sit with God and His Word, and to sit there and to wrestle with God, and to be silent and to be listen. Patience is humility. It's understanding I do not have it all together, and that God is patient with me. You see, patience is revealed in God as He is long-suffering with us. We see that throughout scriptures, that God is patient with us. He's patient with you and with me. For our Second Peter 3.9 says this, The Lord is not slow in keeping His promise, as some would understand slowness. Instead, He is, what? Patience with you. Not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. And Psalm 103 says this, The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in love. So question for you this morning is, who in your life today might be a saint maker? Who in your life today is a saint maker? Someone that God has placed in your life, a difficult person, that he actually wants to transform you to be able to love well. And in what ways might God be using this person in your life today to transform you? Okay, so we see what love, love is patience. But love, I think, is a two-sided coin in, the, in, the, in this first verse here that we're looking at in, in verse 4. Love is patient and love is kind. The other side of the coin is that love is kind. So we see that patience is restraining, is restraining um, unkindness, and that actually kindness is the opposite side of that, where it's showing goodness and extending goodness towards someone. Okay, it's freely showing goodness in the service of others. So patience is restraining and holding back um, undue um, ill will towards somebody. And then kindness is extending grace to someone that doesn't deserve it. And God is patient and He is kind. And He's called us as His followers to be patient and kind, to extend goodness towards someone that may not deserve it. This word is not used anywhere else in the New Testament, and some suggest that Paul coined up this term for, as he was describing, love and who God is. So, it's uh, what Jesus meant when someone is trying to take advantage of you. It's to be radically generous towards them and kindness. When someone's trying to take advantage of you, when someone's trying to hurt you, Jesus taught some radical things that are some very difficult things to understand and, and grasp. But he taught 
the perfect level of what love is. And he displayed that. We see that here. The next slide, I believe, is um, he talks about in Matthew 5. And if anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, hand over your coat as well. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles. Give to the one who asks you and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. See, this kind of agape love is countercultural. It's completely otherworldly. It's not anything to do with what someone would respond with out of the flesh or from the world's value. Jesus' standard for showing kindness is perfection to the point he is saying, don't just be kind to those you like or nice to those you love, but love your enemies. Jesus taught a greater expanse of this love when he continued on and he told the story of the Good Samaritan. You know the, the story of the Good Samaritan. But at the end of the story of the Good Samaritan, in verse 43, he says this, You have heard that it was said, Love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be sons of your Father in heaven. He causes his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you, will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your brothers, what are you doing more than, than others? Do not even pagans do that? Be perfect, perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. You see, it's impossible to think about the spiritual life in God apart from loving our neighbors and our enemies. Jesus' love is perfect. And we're called to live out this love of patience and kindness. So, as we're wrapping up here this morning, we talked about how God is love and that we could place God's name in 1 Corinthians 13 here and say God is patient, God is love. But another way to look at it is to reflect upon, am I being the true mark of a follower of Christ by loving one another? And I could place my name in this chapter and I could say, is Andrew patient? Is Andrew kind? Is Andrew not envious? Does Andrew not boast? Is Andrew not proud? And I could begin to reflect upon and let the word of God be a mirror to me to show me, am I following according to what Jesus has called me to? You see, the Lord is not slow and keeping his promise as someone would understand slowness instead he is patient with you and with me not wanting anyone to perish but everyone to come to repentance see patience comes through humility it's coming to the place to acknowledge that we can't live this perfect life on our own that we need someone greater than us, and that person is Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, who is the perfect example of love, is the one who extends us the power through his Holy Spirit to walk in patience, to walk in kindness towards others. Because we understand 
that God is so great, that God is so full of compassion and grace towards us, that even when we have sinned against Him, even when we continue to sin against Him over and over, He extends grace to us through His Son, Jesus Christ. So this morning, if there's an area in your life that you're saying, you know what, I blew it this morning on the way to church, I blew it last night with patience, or I've been unkind to this person, I want to call you to confess that to God. I want to call you to repent, to turn away from that action and say, God, forgive me. And we know what's amazing is that God is faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all sin when we confess it. And then we take that step of belief and say, okay, God, I see that you've placed this person in my life to help transform me, to change me from the inside out, to make me to be a person that displays your love. And I can say, it's not of me, it's only of you, God. And that's through the power of the Holy Spirit. And maybe this morning you're thinking, I've tried that with this certain person. I want to I encourage you to put into practice what Jesus said about, his en- about our enemies, how we should treat them. And that is to pray for them. Pray for those who persecute you. Maybe today you need to take a challenge to say, you know what, I'm going to pray for this person every day. I'm going to take a 40-day challenge of prayer, and I'm going to pray for this person every day. Pray a blessing upon them. And some of those days when it begins, trust me, I've done this. The first couple days are just wrestling matches with God. It's just saying, God, change my heart. I can't even pray a blessing for this person right now. God, change my heart. Change my heart towards them. Give me love that I can love them. Show them. And you pray that prayer over and over and practice that prayer that Jesus calls us to do. And God changes our heart. He molds us. He softens us. He changes and we can say, I have no idea what happened to me, but it was God who moved and changed in me. So, knowing God equals loving others. We say we know God, then it equals loving others. And lastly, a a question that we will continue to ask throughout the summer, not me, but Pastor Corey and Pastor Andrew, um, how can I make God real through the way I love this week? How can I make God real through the way I love this week? Maybe it's with that saint maker in your life. What are you going to do with the saint maker that God has placed in your life? I would encourage you, start praying for them. Pray for them, and in the process, you will see that God will begin to mold and change your heart. And don't give up. Let's close in prayer. Father, I'm so thankful that you are compassionate, full of grace and love towards us. That even though we were yet your enemies, you sent your precious son Jesus to die a death that he did not deserve on our behalf. What a beautiful example of love. And Lord, we come before you as people 
in need of your grace, people in need of your transforming work of our lives. I pray that we would repent of the areas, Lord, that need changed, and that we would take a step in faith to walk in you, in faith in you, knowing that you are the one that changes us. You are the one that works in and through us to be able to display this love to the world around us. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.